As we continue this series of messages, we're excited today to get off the bus and reach one more. My voice is a little hoarse. I was a fan of a sectional basketball game last night and was cheering our team on. I wasn't yelling at the refs. wanted to a few times, but I didn't. Uh, but cheering our team on to a big victory. It was a great night for our, our team and for our son, a platform that God has given them. It's exciting. Uh, by God's grace, uh, uh, my older son, 2010, was able to win a sectional championship, and Isaiah was able to be on the team that won the sectional championship. So it was a fun night in our house. But I'm more passionate about what I'm sharing today than what I was sharing last night. doesn't mean those things aren't important, because God wants us to enjoy life, enjoy earth, and we enjoyed that last night. Treasures come in all shapes and sizes, but every once in a while, you'll come across a treasure that you're surprised by, it's more valuable than what you thought it was. It might even have been someone else's junk, and they didn't realize it was valuable. But you never forget, when you find out the value of it, how important it is to you. I'll admit, I'm a big fan of a show on History Channel called The Curse of Oak Allen. I, every time I watch it, my wife, Ann, says, Jim, why do you watch it? It ends the same way every episode. They find nothing, and they bring you back trying to pull you back. And uh, so now I've got you wondering what that is. Anybody else watch The Curse of Oak Island? I'll pray for you too. Um, it draws me in and pulls me in. And I'm a big fan of Gold Rush. Yeah, I like watching Parker and Tony Beats and Todd Huffman. And Ann says the same thing. Jim, why do you watch it? They don't find anything. Yeah, they do. They find some things. But every once in a while, you find treasure that's so incredibly valuable that you're willing to surrender everything and give up everything you have for it. Jesus is going to show us in Scripture today how valuable they're a treasure that's available for us. <clears throat> but sometimes we place too much value on possessions and things, and we lose sight of what is most important and what is most valuable. Let me give you an example. Suppose at the end of this service today, we had our leadership team come across the front here in the main and the link, and they stood up here and and we ended our service by saying this. If you have a sickness or you want some healing in your life, and we believe that God is the great physician and he can bring healing. If you have an ailment in your life, a sickness, and probably three-quarters of the church with influenza A or B would walk to the front. And you're probably all carrying a virus. In Jesus' name, God, keep us healthy today. But suppose at the end of this service, there were men across the front ready and willing to pray for you in your sickness. And so you're seated out there, and then one by one, people would come, and they would stand with an elder, and an elder would lay hands and pray and ask Jesus to bring healing to that person. Suppose, just for the sake of illustration, one person stuck out. You watch this person come from the back, and you notice there was this noticeable limp as they walked. You saw them limping towards the front, and figured there must have been some kind of leg ailment, foot ailment, something wrong with their leg. And they worked their way right up front, right in front of the Yordis here. And there was a, an elder standing here. And then you notice that their one leg was three, four, maybe five or six inches shorter than the other leg. They had a noticeable difference in the height of one leg and the other leg. And so maybe you kind of honed in watching the elder pray for that person. And as you're watching, you're wondering, is that person coming forward to ask for healing for their leg? Or is there something else and whatever taking place? So maybe you, you're right there and you're watching. 
And as the elder lays hands and prays in the power and the name of Jesus Christ, you watch this person who limped down the aisle leave without a limp. And somehow, God miraculously healed their leg, and their leg grew in front of you, and they left. And, they, and you left in the service. Suppose the same service, the same service, after that's taking place, I make a call to you, and I say, hey, how many people want to respond to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And I walk through the plan of salvation, and I share the good news of Jesus and the valuable treasure that he is, and, and I lay out the plan that it's by grace through faith, it's not by works, it's the work of Jesus. And if you trust in this incredible gift and believe that he's Lord, he'll save your soul, and he does, forever and ever. That gift can never be taken to you, and you know when you die, you'll go to heaven and not to hell, and he'll walk with you the rest of your life. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Many of us and most of us in this room have trusted. And suppose at the end of the service, I said, if you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love for you to come to the front and just kneel at the altar in front. And so maybe there was 20, 30, maybe even 40 or 50 people that were across the altar in the front who had just walked from life or from death to life Their heart, old heart, is now a new heart. There was this miraculous change in them. They are alive, and they were dead. And you watched all these people come across here. Let me just ask a very honest question, and I want you to respond to this question in your heart. On your way home, driving away, you're in your vehicle. Which conversation are you going, is going to be coming to your mind? Is it going to be about the person whose leg miraculously was healed? Is your conversation going to be enamored with this physical healing and thinking, wow, look at that miracle that God did. Look what he was able to do. And suppose for sake of illustration, this person leaves here never to know Christ, but they were physically healed. What would you remember more? And in your mind, as honest as you can be right now, what was more valuable? See, here's the problem with this. Both are important, but there is nothing that compares, absolutely nothing, the miraculous intervention of an old man becoming a new man, a new old life becoming a new life, a soul that's radically saved that somehow through the power and authority of Jesus Christ, a living man walks away and is saved forever and ever and ever and ever. But something has happened to us. If we're not careful, we will place much more value on a physical thing than we will on a spiritual resurrection of a dead person. Why is that? Because often in our lives, we place more value on the physical than we do the spiritual. And we have lost sight of this incredible gift called Jesus Christ, who radically has changed your life and radically can change the life of a person beside you, and it can never be taken from you. And my prayer is this today, that God renews that passion in our hearts, that God helps us to see the most incredible gift that a person can ever find and ever receive is the treasure of Jesus Christ. You could walk away from the service today 
and be physically healed and end up in hell in your mind, what's more important? Jesus. Jesus had a lot to say about this. And I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to Matthew chapter 13, first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to read verses 44 to 46. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. And when you find that, stand with me and we'll read it out loud together. Jesus, when he would preach, regularly used what we would understand today as parables. He would take illustrations of the day, he would take life of that day, and he would, he would bring it into a story, and it would have a principle from this story saying, I'm saying this, but this means this. And this is what he's doing. He's taking something that was done during that day, and he is showing us today, this is this, but this means this. Let's read this story, this parable, this illustration that Jesus used. Matthew chapter 13. Let's read 44 through 46. Ready? Read. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You may have a seat. We know from this story... That Jesus is giving two ways that a treasure is found. And we're also seeing that this treasure is incomparable. Because in both instances, in both stories that Jesus is telling us today and told 2,000 years ago, this treasure is incomparable. One finds this treasure by stumbling through the field. Another is actively seeking a treasure. He is trying to find pearls. He's trying to find this treasure. One stumbles across it. Didn't even realize he'd wake up that day even looking for it. And all of a sudden it peered on the scene. Another is asking the question, I, I, can I find it? Has done the study and is seeking. It's this picture of this man who's heard about God, knows there's a Jesus, yet he has never personally trusted in him. And so they have questions. It's the person that comes to you and asks you God questions. They start asking about the earth and, and they ask questions. Well, if, how can there be so many religions and have all these people? And why would God send good people to hell? It's the people that are asking the questions. They're searching. Because within every one of us is this God-shaped blank that we're born with. God has put this yearning inside of man to want to know him. And so it's that person that's actively seeking. That's the, that's the merchant. The other person is, they didn't wake up that morning thinking about God. They just went out in the field and back during this time, it was very common. When you went to war, if you defeated the enemy, you would go ransack the treasure and then you would go out in the field because they didn't have banks or vaults and you would dig a hole and you would throw the gold, the silver, the valuable treasures and you would bury it in the ground. And then you would say, we'll come back at a later time because we still have more war, we still have more battles. And often 
they would come back and find that treasure. Sometimes they didn't come back because they kept advancing to take more ground. And so during this time, it wasn't uncommon for someone to be out on a walk to come and look, there's this crevice in the ground. And out of curiosity, we know that this traveler saw this crevice in the ground and was just stumbling and taking a walk out through the dandelions. Whoa, what's that? And so he was curious. And he began to dig around. Maybe he grabbed a shovel. Maybe he grabbed a wheelbarrow. We don't know. And he started to see these objects. And he saw metal and silver. He said, this is valuable. So very valuable. He looked around, make sure no one else saw him. And then he covered it all back. The text says he hid it in the ground. And then what did he do? He went home and gave up everything he had, surrendered everything he had, sold everything he had to do what? To buy the property that was available. Then he went to the landowner. He said, I'd like to buy your property. Landowner sold it to him. And he rushed out in the field and claimed this gift called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said it is very, very, so very valuable that he sold the farm, surrendered everything. And the same for the merchant, sold everything. Why? Because this was very valuable. And Jesus is saying that there are people out there today who are seeking a treasure that's so very valuable that once they stumble across it and you tell them about it, they surrender everything because they've never, ever heard about a treasure that's so valuable that it'll miraculously save you forever. And so they surrendered everything. Or maybe you've been seeking. There are people who are asking questions. And you're asking your friends and you're digging in your God's word and you're calling up your mom and your dad and your brother and your husband. What, 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 how can we answer this? Those people, when they finally find this treasure, this kingdom, this salvation in Christ, they surrender everything. This treasure, Jesus is saying, is incomparable. There is nothing that compares to salvation in Jesus Christ. Nothing. Absolutely nothing Jesus is saying to us today. The gift of eternal life is priceless. Think about this for a second. How many of you, if you were to answer, did you stumble across Jesus? Or were you actively seeking? So God wants us then, as we read this, to remember that this treasure in Christ, this gift of salvation is so important that we're not to just keep it to ourselves, but to share it with others. Because there are people who will surrender everything. Let me give you an example of someone stumbling across. My family and I were in western Kentucky. I was asked to speak at Momentum Youth Conference. And after we spoke there, Josh stayed there, and Hannah and Isaiah and I, and Ann hopped in the van to head back to Indiana. It's an awesome opportunity to, to worship together with teens who love Jesus. It's an awesome opportunity to get a chance to stand in front of the generation now who can change the world for Jesus Christ. So we got in our van and we needed to get some gas. So we drove to a convenience gas station. And as I'm at the convenience gas station, the family went inside to grab some snacks for the ride back to Indiana. So I pumped the gas. 
And when I walked back in, I grabbed some snacks too, and I stood in line with Anne and, and, and Isaiah and Hannah. And when I walk into new places, I often look at the people and just look at their eyes. I want to see if there's a hollowness to their eye. You can look at people and see where they're at by just looking at Most people won't even look at the eye. So I walked in and I was looking at the eyes. And I noticed that this clerk had hollow eyes. You could almost see straight through her. And as I was standing there, the Spirit of God said, Jim, just, just share with this person. As I was standing there and I'm working my way in line, there were three or four people in front of me, four or five people behind me. My family was with me and we went up to the counter and I, 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 I said, I'm going to pump whatever it was, pump three or four. And, and she began to ring it up. And I said, man, can I ask you a question? Or are you, I often ask this question. It's, you know, evangelism isn't, pres- isn't a presentation, it's a conversation. And so as I was sitting there, standing there, I asked this person, I often ask this too, maybe you've heard me ask you, are you a native of this area? It's a great bridge conversation starter. Are you a native of this area? Like, are you from Kentucky? And she answered, she said, I am. I said, well, I I love it here. I love the mountains. I said, we've only been here for two days and boy, we've grown to love the people. And we were, we were just down at the university, down the road down here. Boy, that's a beautiful campus. Isn't it pretty? Yeah, it is. And you know what that made her do? What were you doing here? It's a bridge to take life to God. And so I said, short and sweet, said some other things. Hey, I was here with a bunch of teenagers and we were gathering together. And I said, I had a chance to share with them. And I said, would you like to know what I talked about? And she said, sure. I said, I would just tell them that Jesus loves them. And that, hey, he saves your life. And I said, have you ever heard the name of Jesus? She said, well, sure. I said, well, do you go to church anywhere? Meanwhile, there's five or six people behind me. I'm sure they were impatient. But the Lord wanted me to talk to her. And I wanted to be sensitive to them too. I don't want to be that guy that everyone's mad at. And so in short and sweet, I realized that this lady was lost. And the Spirit of God allowed this woman to be receptive. Stumble across Jim Brown and Ann Brown and Isaiah Brown and Hannah Brown from Indiana getting gas. And I said, ma'am, I said, uh, this God I'm talking about will never leave you nor forsake you. So he loves you and he'll be with you the rest of your life. And there's promises in God's word that are just true and real. And I said, we, we've experienced them, haven't we guys? Yeah, 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 dad. Yeah, yeah, honey. Yeah. I said, you can know the same God too. I said, would you like to trust in him, this valuable trust? She said, yes, I would. I said, well, we can, we can show you how to do that right now. And I said, ma'am, I said, just you pray and, and the prayer doesn't save you. It's a, it's a confession of who, who Jesus is. I said, would you like to? She said, yeah, I would. I said, well, let's pray. And we're standing there praying and she's, heads are bowed and people behind me kind of got stiff and just standing there and, and praying and got done and she prayed to trust in Jesus Christ, and they heard the gospel too, and we laughed. But let me just say that, all praise to God. There are people that you run into every single day that could stumble across the gospel if we just open our mouths. And God has called us. He said, how would they know unless a messenger is sent? And how would they hear unless someone speaks it? Listen, people all the time say, I don't know what to say. How do I know what to say? Listen, it's not your responsibility to save them. So if they don't trust in Jesus Christ on your time and your turf, so be it. Because you have planted the gospel. That's a win every time. 
every single time. You see, there is nothing or no one we should love more than this treasure Jesus is telling us. Let me give you another example of someone who was actively seeking the gospel. In 2000, a group of us went to Cambodia. And this is before they had blacktop roads. And this is when you got on motorbikes and rode out through the villages. And I was leading a team of Grace College students with Jay Bell. And we were riding out through the villages and, and the, the college students were behind us. And we would just ride out to huts and we had a translator with us and we were just sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we came upon this hut and there was a lady that lived in this hut. And she invited us in. We went in and sat down and you could see her face, just a gray look to it, hollow eyes. Just, you could see that an amulet on, on her wrist. She was trusting in the spiritists, and, and she had no faith in Jesus. And so we're in this room, just in this hut. And so I had a translator, and I just said this. Here's what I said in English. Jesus Christ loves you. I said it in Kamai. Yesu Kri loves you. And so... She looked at the translator, and I saw her go like this. She asked the translator a question. And the question was, what did he just say? And so I asked the translator, what did she say? (laughs) She asked me what you just said. I said, what did you say? I said, Yesu Kree loves you. And then I watched something happen in this hut that I've never seen happen since and before. I watched this woman turn back to this translator and say, that's what I've been waiting for. I said, what'd she say? She says, that's what she's been waiting for. I watched this woman after she heard the name Yesu Kree, Jesus Christ, the name above all names, where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It's not your name and my name, and it's not any name in the phone book. It's Jesus Christ. I watched her hear his name and trust in Jesus Christ. Now listen, not only did I watch it, I'll never forget, I saw her whole countenance change. I saw a glow come back in her face, and I watched her eyes sparkle. She trusted in this incredible treasure that Jesus is talking about right here by hearing his name. She had been waiting for it. I walk away from those encounters, by the way, that changed my life radically. Because when I read God's word now, Like, I can read John the Baptist, and that's John the Baptist, but when I read the name Jesus, or Yahweh, or God, I pause because that name saves people in huts by speaking it. And Jesus is telling us today, listen, this is a valuable treasure. It's not meant to stay with you. And when people find it, they're willing, as willing can be, to surrender all. Because that treasure is way more valuable than any physical thing that could ever happen to you or you could ever possess. So a soul is at stake. Every single person that you and I run into, every single person that's in our house, there's a soul at stake. Either they know Jesus or don't know Jesus. And our responsibility and mission is to seek and save lost people. Jesus also told this story. Turn to Luke chapter 19, or 16. Luke chapter 16. In regards, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Same kind of story, but this time he gave us a story of two different men. 
Luke chapter 16, verse 19 says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, which is goes to hell, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away in this other place that we know as paradise, which eventually gets dumped into heaven in verse 24. Says, so he called to him way over there, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus. He's there with you. It's much better than where I'm at to dip the tip of his what? What's it say? Finger in water and cool my what? Because I am in what? What's the word? Agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot. Nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So this picture, he wants to go there, as we understand heaven, but he can't. His fate is sealed, and so is yours and mine and everyone else. When we die, the Bible says, we're destined to die once and then face judgment. That's why this gift can only, this treasure can only be passed on while we're still alive. And then it says this, in verse 27, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the what was to say? Dead goes to them. They will repent. In other words, if they see a dead man walking, then they'll respond. However, it says this, verse 31. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and if they don't listen to a podcast and they don't listen to the sermon and the prophets and the writings of God's word, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And Jesus is telling in that account too that if you don't trust in him, there's two destinations. Now listen to me. That's your bother us who are Christians. We should wake up every day and say, man, who in my family is going to die and go to hell? Who in my neighborhood? People that I work with, why don't I share this good news? The treasure of the kingdom of God and salvation was never meant to stop with you. It's meant to pass on. And just for facts alone, these are true statistics. Every 1.8 seconds, someone dies and goes to hell. Imagine that. One, two, hell. One, two, another person went to hell. One, two, another person goes to hell. Does that even bother you? If it doesn't bother you, then please get on your knees and ask God to give you a burden for lost people. There are 7.5 billion people in our world. Statistics show us that 5.6 billion people are unsaved and gone to hell. If you were to take the number of lost people in America, the line would be 50,000 miles long. 
If they were front to back and it grew, grows by one mile each day, if you literally took all the lost people in America who don't know Christ, just America, and you put them back to front, they would be double stacked rows and it grows a mile longer every day. You could literally take these people and put them around the whole globe of the world. That's how many lost people that are in this world that God wants us to reach. Just bring it home to our turf. 150,000 people in Elkhart County don't have a place that they would call church or home. Majority of them don't know Christ. It's our incredible, not even responsibility, but privilege to let them stumble across Jesus. Let them have us walk into their life and answer their questions about Jesus and have them receive what you and I have. Let me just ask you a question. Who is the last person that you led to Christ? Like, who is that? Could you even write down a name? Some of you have been saved for 20 years. Some of you have been saved for 30 years. Who is? Like, who do you even know right now that you're actively pursuing? When is the last time you said Yesu Cree in the workplace? When is the last time you said Jesus to someone? We have a chance to tell this community about Jesus. We are getting off the bus. This, this capital campaign, you might be thinking, well, that's a building. It's about people who need Jesus. And if you want to invest in something good, there it is. If only one person comes to Christ, it's worth $4 million. That could be your son. How much would you give for your mom, dad, brother, sister, child, cousin, aunt, co-worker to come to Christ? You would sell the farm like Jesus said in this treasure story. Even if one person, it is worth it. See, Jesus went way through way too much for us to be more concerned about our comfort than our soul and souls going to hell. The most precious gift there is is Jesus Christ. And Jesus showed us that in that parable in Matthew. He says, listen, when you stumble across Jesus or when you finally get an answer to that question, nothing compares to Jesus. Paul understood this too. And in fact, here's the kind of friend you need. Look at, look at Romans chapter 9 and verse 3. Paul cared so much about his people that he said this in Romans chapter 9 and verse 3. Look what it says in Romans chapter 9 and verse 3. Paul's anguish, he says this in 9 and 3. He says, for I could wish that I myself were what? What's the word? Cursed. And what? What? What's it say? Cut off from who? Christ. For the sake of my people, those of my own race. Paul cared about his own race so much, he said, if it were possible, I would give up my salvation so that my brother, sister, aunt, or uncle to come to Christ. But the reality is this, is by the time we're a Christian for seven years, here's the reality. In the first year that you come to Christ, it's one of the reasons I love Grace Community Church. You know why? It's because we have a, not, a lot of new believers. And when you get around them, they're on fire. They're contagious. They just tell everybody. And they rub off and they challenge you too a little bit, don't they? Like, you always talk about Jesus. Why? Because they know what it means to go from death to life. And here's what happens if we're not careful. 
If we, if we begin to place value on physical things and we think a healing of the body is more important than a saving of a soul, we'll lose sight too and we'll chase down those physical things. The reality is this, there's nothing more important than a person coming to Jesus Christ. Bill Hybels had an incredible thought on this and he says, here's, here's what happens often with Christians. Listen to what he says in his book, Walk Across the Room. He says that the issue used to really stump me, but over the years, I've seen something play out that begins to address how many people salve their conscience. They make horse trades with God, little side bargains with the king of the universe. Sure, they never admit this in front of a civilized people, but privately they come to God and say, I'm really not cut out to take walks across the room and share Jesus, God. I'm terribly uncomfortable with risk and edge and adventure. And frankly, this whole mystical realm is more unnerving than I can even articulate. And so he reads, writes on, he says, they continue to chatter away to God, secretly hoping he'll momentarily withhold his response while they hurriedly get to the best part of the arrangement. But here's my deal, God. I will get all over spiritual development I will be a Bible knowledge hound if you want. I'll throw myself into building Habitat for Humanity homes every summer. In fact, I will climb over volunteerism. I'll show up at church five nights a week if you ask me to. You let me off the evangelism hook, I'll prove my love for you in a half dozen other ways, even if it kills me. That's my horse trade deal with you, God. Hybos goes on to say, friends, I watch these horse trades happen all over the kingdom in churches, large and small. Just little evangelism exchanges, seemingly innocent deals that if struck are really win-win, wouldn't you say? I mean, the Christ father gets off the hook and God gets freed up to go chase down someone who has a stronger evangelism gift. Hybos said, my blood pressure rises just writing about it. He says this, if Christ followers tactics only went this far, I would still hang my head in dismay at the selfishness and ugliness of it all. But things can even get worse than this. I've seen scores of Christ followers get so cut off, having horse traded away any sense of responsibility or adventure about reaching people, that they actually get annoyed with those outside the kingdom of God. Instead of walking towards people who are lost, who need God's redemptive love, they step into a mode of no longer wanting anything to do with them. Self-proclaimed followers of Jesus Christ develop an aversion to non-believers, going to all lengths to avoid the exact people Christ came to redeem. Again, no one in a right mind would own up to this out loud, but I watch it go on below the surface in a person's mind and heart all the time. A Christ follower says this, I'm so sick and tired of the filthy mouth guy at work. I can't stand his language. I hate his jokes and how he lives. Or you wouldn't believe the morale of my neighbor, morals of my neighbor, the partying she does. And my boss, you should see his voting patterns. If I could vote him out of here, I would. Hybels goes on to say, the aversion can become so intense that a Christ follower has to plumb new debts of dysfunction to deal with it. Here's what I think I'll do, she says. 
I'll set my alarm so that in the morning I get up to Christian music. I'll email my Christian girlfriends all throughout the course of my workday so that I can stay pumped up with Christian thoughts. At break time, coffee time, lunch time, I'm going to sit all by myself and read my Bible in front of everybody. Then I will fill up my evenings with family and church activities, if I even watch TV at all. It's only Christian shows for me. I'll go to bed, wake up tomorrow, and start all over with step one. My life will stay exactly how I want it to be, simple and safe, spotless and uncluttered, protected and predictable, just the way I like it. And if I'm forced to nail it down, I see only one problem with this cocooning pattern. It is the polar opposite of the way of Christ. Simple and safe was not exactly the theme Christ was championing when he warned his followers that being sent out as lambs among wolves was part of the deal. Spotless and uncluttered had no place in the task of embracing a dying, broken, weary world with radical forgiveness and actionable love. Please, Grace, may we never be this church. And may you never be that person who runs. Listen to me. If you're wanting to get out of the workplace because someone cusses and doesn't know Jesus Christ, and you're whining and complaining about their voting patterns, and they're the very people that Jesus died for, and you could bump into them with Jesus Christ, then you need to get on your knees and repent. Right away. Christ came and he said this in John 17. I pray that as I send him into the world, you will protect him. Listen to me. Jesus already prayed for your protection. Perfect God has prayed for you and your kids. Go share the good news. Let me speak to parents. If you are cocooning your kids, if your house is only Christians only, Christian kids only, and you don't allow an unsaved kid who's dying and gone to hell to play with your kid, to eat your popsicles, and to play your games and your video games and jump on your trampolines because you're afraid? You are raising children who will go into the safe, uncluttered world and never share their faith. Your homes should be the place that kids want to come to. Make it a place, supervise it, join in and get to know their names, write their names down at supper time, pray for their salvation, play games in the backyard with unsaved kids. And let me tell you what will happen. They will find Jesus Christ on your swing sets, on your slides, on your video games, and in your front back rooms and garages and basketball courts. That's what we've been called to. You see, here's what's happening. Some of you are raising these kids how to protect them. I'm afraid what will happen if that's said. You teach them. You love on them. You let them know they're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. That's our calling. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to send you like lambs out among wolves. But remember, he's already prayed for your protection. The God of the universe, if Anyone can pray for you and get protected. It's Jesus, and he already did that. You see, passion for the law stems from being disturbed about something. I will not retreat. And let me tell you, there's times I don't want to talk to people about Jesus. I'm tired. I want to go home. 
remember walking out of here one day. I was leaving the office, and you know it was a full day, just like your days are full, and I'm as human as you are. And, and this guy was coming. He was disheveled, and, and he was just kind of hunched over, and he had a backpack on, and I got to get home. Worked hard. And my flesh was saying, Jim, just ignore him. Just, just look, look at your phone. <laughs> look at your phone. Walk to the Jeep. Someone else will get him. And the Spirit of God leveled me and convicted me. And I repented. And I was walking. It's like, what is wrong with me? Have I become so callous as a preacher that I won't even share the good news? And I watched this man. And the closer he got, I could see the, his hollow eyes. And, and the closer he got, I could smell the alcohol on him. And the closer he got, I realized he had a beer can in his hand. And he was coming to church. So I introduced myself. Hey, I'm Jim. What's your name? He told me his name. We sat down on the park bench out there. And, and I just sat there and listened. Whatever was supposed to happen at home, this treasure is too important for this guy, for me to leave. I began to just converse and listen and listen and listen and listen. I found out he was a former Navy SEAL. And, and I found out that this beer he had in his hand wasn't the only one. He put his backpack down. And it was zipped open the top. And the whole backpack was full of beer cans. And I realized he was partially inebriated. And the Spirit of God says, Jim, listen to him. He needs me. So I just listened, and he told me, showed me bullet holes where he almost died and how he went to the front lines. And I shook his hand and said, listen to me. Thank you for serving our country. Thank you for standing in harm's way. I said, we, we are better because of you. And I watched tears run down his face, and so that's the greatest love a man can do for someone is to lay down their life or be willing to. And, and as we sat there, he became more conscious and understood what I was saying. I said, man, I said, listen, I, I know someone else that was willing to lay down his life like you were. His name's Jesus. I said, he'll never leave you and I, he'll never forsake you. And I told him some other things and I just, I watched him. All of a sudden, his eyes became alert and he started to listen. And, and the Lord had an appointment for him. And I almost blew it because I was selfish and flesh. And I wanted to get home to my saved family and my safe house and my refuge and my home and my wife and my kids. And I almost missed an opportunity to introduce someone to this incredible treasure called Jesus Christ. I watched this man trust in Jesus Christ on that bench and his life was miraculously changed forever. All because God's work wasn't me. God had already prepared in advance. All he needed was some, anybody to share the news. And I just wonder, how many opportunities do I walk by every day that you walk by every day that God is drawing? He's just looking for someone, someone to tell the truth. It's got to be us. If we don't, then who will? Jeremiah tried to describe this. I, I would love, and I, we will one day, sit with him in heaven. Look at Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. I love his passion. I love his fire. I love that he was willing to be the weeping prophet. Like, who would sign up for that job? Not me, but he did. Doom and gloom. God's going to bring judgment. I mean, he, he carried on the word. But then he says this in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. 
Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9, he says, But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a what? What's it say? Fire. A fire shut up in my what? Bones. I am weary of what? What's it say? Holding it in. Indeed, I what? What's it say? He says, I wake up every day and this treasure is so real. This salvation is so good that you will not keep it from coming out of me. I couldn't even not stop sharing. Why? Because Proverbs 28, one says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Removing ourselves from sharing our faith undermines the will of God. So Matthew chapter 20, in verse 28, 18 to 20, reminds us. It's clearly our mission from the Savior. How do I know that? Look, 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 he's ready to ascend. Look at Acts chapter 1. Look at Acts chapter 1. Jesus is ready to go to heaven. The death, burial, and resurrection has already taken place. He's ready to leave earth. And his disciples are there. And they're standing there. And people are standing there. He's ready to be ascended into the clouds where he's at the right hand of the Father. But before he goes, they're asking him a question. And look what it says in verse 6. They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? The last question they ask him is eschatology. Like, Lord, when are you coming back? Eschatology is study of future things. When are you going to do this? On their mind is, we know you're leaving. When are you coming back, basically? But his response is soteriology, which means the study of a... Of, of salvation and evangelism. Look at Jesus' response. He could have said anything. And in verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the dates or times the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In verse 9, he says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud did what? What does it say? Hid him from their sight. He could have talked about anything. But before he left, they were thinking about eschatology. When are you coming back? When are you going to restore this mess? And he says, I'm not concerned with that. You're saved. He said, I want to talk about soteriology, which is the study and doctrine of salvation. Listen, go tell people about me. At the heart of our Savior in his last words was reach more people. So people ask me frequently, Pastor Jim, I'm afraid to share. What are you afraid of? You're afraid God's not going to help you? Don't you think that the interests of heaven, the Bible says that the angels lean in when someone shares and gets saved. It says that they lean in because that's the most exciting thing in heaven. So picture angels leaning in as you're about ready. to. What are you afraid of? Rejection from someone? You mean you'll let your friend go to hell? Some of you recreate with them, work with them, study with them, train with them, but you have yet to articulate Jesus Christ. You could be the person that God uses. Your friend could go to hell and might be the best marksman on the planet because you showed them how. They might be the best weightlifter in the world, but you never told them about Jesus and they go to hell. Oh, please. 
If your heart's not broken for lost people, it's the heart of our Savior. So people ask me, Pastor Jim, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid that I'll say the wrong thing. Listen, we have a teacher that lives inside of us called the Holy Spirit. He wants to tell you. How do you know that, Pastor Jim? Well, turn to Luke chapter 12 and verse 12. Look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 12. Here's here's what I do and here's what you can do. Luke chapter 12 and verse 12 reminds us that this is the role of the Holy Spirit. Luke 12 and verse 12 says this. For the Holy Spirit will what you, what's it say? Teach you at that time what you what? What's it say? Should say. Listen to me. I am regularly praying. Someone, I have so many people come with me questions. And sometimes you might even see me doing this. Holy Spirit, tell me what to say. Holy Spirit, tell me what to say. And you know what he does? He tells you what to say. You know why? Because he gets excited when you share Jesus. See, problem is you're trying to do it on your own strength. You don't save people. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit work together. One draws, one seals, one redeems. We're just messengers. But the good news is this scripture says, or statistics show us, that it takes 7.5 times that the gospel is shared for someone to come to Christ. That's statistics. 7.5 times after they hear it. Generally speaking, after the 7.5 times, somewhere between that 7th and 8th conversation, that's when they trust in Jesus. Listen to me. You could be the first person. You might be saying, well, it's not the same. They didn't come to Christ. how come, how come Jim gets to be 7.5 all the time? It doesn't matter because every time you share, you push him one step closer and you can walk away and say, praise God, they're closer to Jesus. Every time you share, it's a win situation. The Bible says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why? Because we're not... Bold as lions. We let the enemy make us believe that we don't have what it takes to tell our friends about Jesus. Listen to me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You're letting the enemy who's been disarmed, Colossians says, and all he has is a water gun, and he's been bullying you around for years. It's time you kick his butt and tell him you are in Jesus. The harvest is not measured by the grain in the barn, but the wheat in the field. This isn't the harvest. It's the wheat out there. It's the people out there who need Jesus. We got work to do. Hell is hot and forever is a long time. And it's our turn to stop making a dent and start making a difference. You see, one person wrote this poem many years ago. And it's, it breaks my heart every time I read it. But may God use this to affirm, to challenge, to convict Me and you again. It's called my friend. It says, my friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth, I walk with you day by day and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was dim. You could have led me straight to him. Though we lived together on earth, you never told me of second birth. And now I stand condemned this day because of what you failed to say. 
You taught me many things that's true. I called you friend and trusted you. Now I learn it's too late. But you could have saved me from this fate. We walked by day and talked by night. And yet you showed me not the light. You let me live and die. Though you knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and laughed with you through joy and strife. And yet on coming to this end, I cannot call you my friend. Please, for the cause of Jesus Christ and the blood he shed on the cross and all the lost people in Elkhart County, will you please, please be willing to speak truth? Please, don't place something physical as more valuable than a dead man coming to life. In front of me across the stage are pages of Elkhart County phone book. My prayer is this today, that somehow God uses us as the worship teams come out, that God uses us to reach our community. And maybe you treat these phone books like you do people. You open them up twice a year. And some of them use them as cushions for your tractor seats. Starter or kindling for your bonfires and fireplaces. But every name in this book is a soul in Elkhart County that potentially could need Jesus Christ. And we have the good news. And God wants us to share it. And so what we've done, we've laid one page across the front of both auditoriums. And what we're asking you to do is just come grab one, one page of the paper, of the, of, the, of the phone book. And maybe for you, it's you just begin praying through the names of every name on this page for the rest of the year. And if you feel compelled, many of them have addresses. And you pray after spending time in prayer. Maybe, maybe you write them a note and say, hey, I was looking through the phone book today. And I came across your name. And I want you to know this, that I just prayed for you. And maybe it's like, I just want to let you know that, hey, Jesus loves you. And maybe you feel compelled by the Spirit after praying and fasting that you just start calling people. Saying, hey, this is Jim. I just want to let you know that, hey, God brought you to mind today. I was reading through the phone book. There's a conversation starter, isn't it? Why are you looking through the phone book? Because, because, because. And I want to let you know that Jesus loves you. So as we sing this last song that challenges us to be the people who share the good news of Christ, I'm going to ask you to do something. Now listen, don't come and grab a phone book page unless you're willing to stand in the gap and pray. So as we sing this song, I ask you to come and grab a page and begin praying and moving as God leads. I pray, Lord, I pray that through the act that's done here, I pray that we put a major dent in the 150,000 people. God, I pray that you'll line up. There won't be, won't be, it won't be luck, but it'll be your divine interaction that people come across the exact page that you want them to have. I pray for spiritual conversations and interactions. I pray that souls are saved because we are actively seeking them. In Jesus' name, amen. So come as we sing this song and grab a page.